Hey, Maggie. Hey, what? What do you call a celebration in Minecraft? I don't know what. A block party. <laughs>
Um, and it's okay. it's really cool because it has a scrolling board, kind of. You have these street tiles, um, and they they constantly are moving. Um, so enemies can can drop off the board, and you can lose health if you drop off the board. But you're basically one of these four, like super roided characters. Uh, there's there's two dudes and and two ladies. Um, their main guy is Average Joe. Uh, the other dude is the mayor of the city. He's basically like a, a Mike Hager ripoff. Does he fight you with have a like... pipe, though? Well, you can get items. Oh, okay. So that's that's what's cool. So every character has like a punch and a kick attribute. So when you attack other other enemies, uh, you're rolling your punches and your kicks, but you can pick up items, and you can have one item at a time. So it could be like a pipe, or you could pick up like an entire roast chicken. Um, and it... it basically plays out exactly like these these games and it even has cool quirks like on your first turn you're temporarily uh invincible or if you die you have to put another quarter in uh, you get x amount of quarters depending on your difficulty level okay. and yep. you come back to life and you are temporarily invincible again kind of like in the arcades I... where you come back in and they give you a minute to like get situated i am super down with a board game that gives me invincibility frames i don't really know how to even express that in words. This uh, just sounds like this was made for me and I'm an idiot for not uh, having accepted a review copy of it uh, when they offered to send it to me. Um, I'm feeling really dumb guys. Um, but okay. It's, it's awesome. It's good. All right. So it's going, it's going on Kickstarter soon, probably by the time this is live. Is that, is that what I understand? It's going, uh, so it's going Tuesday, May 9th. Today's the eighth, right? Uh, yeah. No, I don't even know what today's day is. It's going on the night. It's going on on a Tuesday. We're recording this on Monday night. It's going out tomorrow, which is Tuesday. Fair enough. So by the time this goes live, which will be Friday the eleventh, um, oh yeah, it'll be this will be already live and hopefully funded. Um, man, that just sounds cool. What do you think, Sam and Gwen? Does it sound? Does that? It does. Have you? Are you guys familiar with like the old school brawlers? Do you guys? Were Um, you guys big video gamers back in the day? I have played a lot of Streets of Rage, and I, I still do. Every once in a while, right, I, uh, right. I have like a, like a free app that I'll throw on and just uh, you know uh, beat up on some some people that just keep wandering off of the screen on you. So I mean, this definitely appeals to me for sure. All right, just to hit that nostalgia, and it would be cool to see how they uh, you know kind of transferred the mechanics of the game to a, a board as well. So it would be cool to see how that is integrated. It is really always so fun to see the way that video games are being changed into board games and like what that takes and what they choose to make the mechanics for that. So, yeah, I would definitely be interested in checking it out. Well, the good news is there will probably be a very hopefully they're smart enough to have a cool video that explains all of those mechanics as part of their Kickstarter, because you kind of need one of those, um, especially if it's something interesting like this. And I, I, you know what, Gwen, you made a really good point. It really is interesting to see, you know, as the two, obviously video games are huge, you know, bigger industry than the movies and, you know, the NFL and all that, right? And, And board games are growing like bananas. It's just crazy how fast board games are exploding. And so it's interesting to see them kind of borrow from each other, because, I mean, we're seeing, like, all sorts of digital versions of board games or digital games kind of borrowing from, you know, some of the board game mechanics. Obviously, every role-playing game ever is stealing from 
Dungeons and Dragons. So, I, I mean, there's really only so much we can do there. But it's, you know, it's interesting to see that kind of back and forth. And and some of it is with, like, Centipede and that stuff like that that are, like, legit just trying to take from video games and just adapt them. But it's interesting seeing other kind of video game-y kind of mechanics finding their way into other games. I think it's kind of neat. It's pretty cool. I really do think there there's an overlap as well. We uh, even had some uh, people come up at PAX East and they approached us uh, when we were at the Unpub booth and they, you know, they're like, well, we primarily play video games and uh, we've never played a board game before and we'd like to check it out, but we don't know if we'll be able to do it. And I'm always thinking that it's like people who play video games have the same thing. I mean, a lot of video games have an analytical problem and it, it's uh, you're solving a puzzle yeah. and you're having and to think quickly, which is also something that goes on in board games as well. So I feel like there is a lot of overlap. And Absolutely. I feel like in some ways people think that it's a completely different world and it's like hermetically sealed. So it's cool to see people come across that, uh, that divide and realize the similarities between the two uh, hobbies. No, I agree with you completely. That is something that I talk, you know, I talked to a lot of parents and you know, the idea of it's like, well, I don't know if I'll ever be able to play this, you know, these video games, man. You know, my, the, the kids, they just do all this stuff and I can't even fathom learning it. And I'm like, well, you know what? Like, I bet you you were really bad at cards once, you know, like there's, you know, like the it, the the it's not a direct transference of skills. But like at the end of the day, a game is a game. And yeah. if you if you could coach T-ball then, you know, like there are, you know, you're, that is a problem. There is strategy and that like, it's just learning different rules and maybe being able to sit still. That's a challenge for me. <laughs> right. But like, you know, there's, it's, it's not as crazy different as people assume. I mean, a game like, like they said, well, who was it? Sid Meier said, what is a game, but a series of meaningful decisions. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just whether you're holding a controller or waving around, a, you know, a VR controller thing or rolling dice or whatever. It's all kind of the same stuff. We're just doing different things, I think. Yeah. Um, and being someone who covers both sides, like on an analytical level, it like over the last four or five years, it is absolutely illuminated that I, I didn't believe that they were very similar in the beginning. But, man, I have learned a great deal, um, especially meeting designers. You know, as somebody who is way too dumb to make things like that, uh, that would be me. Um, <clears throat> the meeting, you know, independent game developers on both sides, be they board game designers or game devs, um, you know, video game devs. It's the, a lot of you guys think the same way about what you're doing. You're just using different tools. It's so fascinating. It's like a sculptor and a painter. Like you guys know the same fundamentals. You know what I mean? It's just you're building a different end product. So anyway, we just we just went into uh, engage family philosophy uh, for a moment, <laughs> um, and that's fine. That's fine. We can nerd out a little bit. So um, so that is Streets of Steel, which will be on Kickstarter. If that sounds like a game you are interested in, um, and man, it sure as heck sounds like something I am interested in. Um, definitely check it out. I might have to hit them up for a review copy only because uh, I burned my entire Kickstarter budget on uh, Fireball Island. Because I have, <laughs> because I have a problem, um, because I have a very very big problem, um, and I forgot to tell my wife that I backed it until it was too late. Yikes! Uh, hey, you or know forgot what? Forgot or, or omitted? No, no, I forgot. Um, so here's how it worked. I told her that the Kickstarter was happening, 
And I told her how much it was to go all in because I went full Volcar because I have a problem. Um, and I told her, but apparently I, I forgot to tell her that I actually was going to back it until she noticed that like $165 hopped out of the account. And she was like, Hey honey, any, you want to tell me what, you know, that's a lot of money. And I was like, well, <laughs> um, fortunately she's very excited about that game as are our children. And it's going to be coming just in time for my birthday. So yeah, this all out very well. <laughs> uh, I did the opposite. I didn't plan it. Well, it just, the chips fell in just the right way that maybe I'll survive until November. <laughs> maybe. Um, so have you guys played anything other than fire tower recently? I'm going to botch the name, but I, speaking of the video games and board game combination, yeah. um, do you know how to pronounce the name of the game that we recently played on Team that was so cool, but it's, uh, we met these people, uh, on, at tabletop day was that a week ago now. Yeah. And, uh, they had, it was, it was like a worker placement real time. Oh yeah. 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 What was it? We talked about that last week, Rob. Or two weeks ago. Sumer? Is that what it's called? Sumer, right? Sumer. Is yeah. that even that? I'm not sure. But it, yeah, anyway, it was, um, it's really, really fun. It does an amazing job of sort of combining mechanics from board games and bringing them to a, a video game world. And uh, especially just sort of like the, the way that it's worker placement, but you're racing to get there. So something that's, you know, that, ha you know, and you need a controller to do that, but it still was using uh board game mechanics so it was really fun we had a blast you know, it was really great yeah. um for sake yeah, of yeah. information not to interrupt but for the sake of our listeners it's called sumer a game of divine strategy it's on switch and steam for those of you who are interested i am very interested you can play with up to four players is that yep. right Yes. So we played we played on t at tabletop day and then instantly brought it home and had some friends over and played it with the with the four of us. So that was really fun as well. How did how did you, you guys so you liked it with four players? Did you have you played with a lower player count yet or we, um, we haven't I haven't I haven't tried the lower player count yet. You, you yeah, just though, when man. we were getting the demo it was lower. Oh, okay. But I yeah, I I would assume that it would be best with more players just because you're racing to get to things first. Sure. But it seems like it scales well. So, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's it has that same uh, the quality of worker placement games where you're like plotting out your path, and it, it's cool because there's a, there's that little bit of downtime before everyone wakes up from their little beds at the bottom of of the monument, and you're trying to figuring out your path. But then you know you have to make those real time decisions when other people try to stymie you and jump in front of you to take the thing that you wanted. I really, uh, yeah, it's like worker placement with like a, like a good amount of like healthy anxiety as well. <laughs> Healthy anxiety, exactly. Good term. <laughs> you know what? I think healthy anxiety, and Rob, tell me if I'm wrong. I think healthy anxiety is like the name of the game for worker placement, right? Because like you could have the most awesome, like careful strat planned out for like, okay, I've got these three dudes and I'm going to put them down. And you just know that your opponent, that one of your opponents is going to be that guy, you know? But, like, you can't account for it. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I feel. Like, playing, like, Lords of Waterdeep or whatever. Like, yep. I know that my kid is just going to jump on whatever. He's just going to find the thing that I know I need and just take it, even if he doesn't need it. 
He's just going to be that. My son is the king of hate drafting. He's a troll. <laughs> um, I don't know where he got it from because I am not a troll. Um, I'm a jerk. There is a difference. Um, <laughs> slight difference. But um, so, yeah, Sumer, you know what? They uh, Andrew Smith of the Family Gamers, and I know you guys know him because you were on his show last week. Um, or, yeah, I think it just came out. So um, he he just talked about this this game. So this is two board game or two board game podcasts out of three where this game has come up. I guess I gotta buy it now. Um, it's only like twenty bucks for those of you listening. And if you're looking for a cool multiplayer game, either on Steam or maybe on Switch, if you happen to be one of those folks, um, this is a very unique game. And I think by nature of the fact that it's kind of more board gamey, I think it might actually be a little bit more you know, new gamer friendly compared to like Smash Brothers or Brawl Out or, you know, something like that that would require a little bit more skill. Wouldn't you guys agree? I'm just looking at videos. Definitely. Um, Sam is much, much, much better at video games than I am. And so we can almost only play, like if we play together, we often play couch co-ops or something okay. like that. I, it has to be that, you know, we can't be competing because I'll just lose instantly. There's, I don't have a chance. <laughs> if, I, if I may re- make a recommendation for a game that you could probably compete at, um, if you have a Switch, and if you don't, you should get one, um, to celebrate the victory of your um, Kickstarter, <laughs> obviously, um, is uh, Mario Kart. Because oh, yeah. the new Mario Kart actually has, um, like, some assists that will make it so you can't screw up as bad. Oh, so that would it, be good. Um, I, I could use something like that. Yeah, there's there's auto acceleration or auto steering, which you could turn one or both of them on, and they make it so you only have to pay attention to the other one, or really neither. Um, and so uh, my five year old can play reasonably cool. well. So I'm just throwing that's, it out there. Just throwing that's it. That's pretty cool. So it, what you know, more forgiving than the original, uh, uh, or not the original, but the N64 version, oh, where if you hit much. the wrong corner, you'd be facing backwards. And then the whole race was over, and then yeah. you'd fall off a cliff, and everyone would pass you and lap you three times. Yeah, yeah it's exact. It's way better than that because you actually, if you if you have the auto steering on and try and steer off course, it actually just pushes you right back on. It's really kind of neat. Um, I know we we di- we uh, we veered off course on the podcast, so I'm gonna let the auto steer pull me back in and talk about some more board games. So you guys played Sumer, um, a divine a game of divine strategy from Studio Wumpus. Just Google it up, folks. Um, oh, and they're from Brooklyn, just like you guys. Aren't you guys from Brooklyn? Yes, that's why awesome. we met. All right. We were doing I get update. it. Hey, so those of us in the Northeast, we can appreciate that. There's some local <laughs> folk. Um, so that is... So anybody else play anything? I, I have one. I just don't want to jump over everybody being that I'm the host. Rob? what about, You know uh, what, Rob? I want you to talk... Tell me about this Legend of Korra game, because I really want to play it, and I don't have it, because IDW and I just haven't been able to connect on it. Tell me about the Legend of Korra pro-bending arena. Dude, so it's... Uh, I was I was super hyped for the game, because as, like, as a whole family, we loved Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. Uh, my kids still just repeatedly watch them. Every once in a while, they'll just go through the seasons. So when I saw this being kickstarted, I'm like, I don't care if this game is good or not. Like, I need to get it to review it because it's it's Legend of Korra. Uh, so so Ross Thompson, IDW, shot me a copy, um, and it's it's good. Um, I mean, pro bending was probably like the weakest part 
of the Legend of Korra, the show. Um, but it it just translates so well into a board game. And you've got two teams of three on the, the pro bending arena. There's a divider in the middle. And you're taking your turns. Uh, you know, you draw three cards and you're playing your three cards every turn, which tell you what bender you're moving and, and what actions you have. And so you're moving left and right. You're shooting elements back and forth. Um, and basically the goal is, is you want to either knock your opponents off the arena or if the ref calls the game, you want to be in your opponent's zone or have the most benders on, on the board. Uh, and the way you knock benders off the board is by, by putting your elemental tokens on spaces that they're on and hoping that they don't negate them before the, uh, the end of their turn. Because if, if at the end of your turn you have an opponent's icons or tokens on a character, it's going to bump them back the amount of, of tokens that are on there. So it's almost like a little, it's like a game of tug of war. Um, and you've got special trick moves and you have illegal moves that you can use where you roll a referee die. And if you get caught, you get a penalty. And if you get two penalties, you can get booted out of the game. Um, and it's, it's just, it's really cool. And the base set has, has the fire ferrets, which is uh Korra, Mako and uh, Bolin. Were the main characters of the show, yep. and the Wolf Bats, who are kind of the jerky team that you're first introduced to uh, in the show. Um, but the Kickstarter added tons of other teams, which I'm hoping will be released retail soon. And then there's even an expansion uh, that has Amon, who was the the main villain of season one. Uh, and there's an episode where he attacks the Probending Arena, and and the Probenders are fighting off his equalist forces. Uh, so basically, they add that in where. Uh, Korra, instead of just water bending, can now use her her fire bending and her earth bending. Uh, she didn't have air bending yet, and she, and and you're using your your team to fight off these invading forces. Um, so what I've played, it's really good. I played it with my oldest, and he really loved it. The minis are awesome. Um, it's just a really solid game, and and I usually don't like. I haven't had much luck with with licensed games. Like I keep going back to like everybody knows I hate Mega Man, the board game. Um, but IDW has had some some hits, man, with with Ninja Turtles, and and Legend of Korra. Like they're solid, solid games, uh, and they've completely taken me by surprise. Um, as a video game reviewer, I know nothing of the terror that is licensed games. I just don't. <laughs> I just don't even. Yeah. I'm with you on the bad thing about licensed games. Um, those listening, if you want to know about some of my experiences, you can listen to older podcasts, or maybe you can look up my review of Turbo, the video game that is based on the Snail movie. Do you guys remember Turbo? I remember Turbo. I do remember Turbo. The one about the snail that like gets dropped in nitrous oxide, so he that makes him fast. Oh my which God. is uh, that's that uh, the, every word I just said is true. Um, <laughs> And um, I thought it was going to be a racing game, and it turned out that it was a, a, like a Tony Hawk's Pro Skater ripoff, and I was really <laughs> mad. Oh my God. They, they kind of it seems like they really dropped the ball on that one then, because um, it's yeah. a game about racing. It's a movie about racing. The game should be, you know, about. I racing. thought that it was going to be a kart racer because that made total sense. Oh, we'll just be a bunch of snails racing around stupid tracks, like a burrito shop and all that. No, no, no. It was. Uh, it was uh, it was a Tony Hawk game, and it was 
awful at that. So, um, yeah, it was probably the worst review I've ever written. So I don't know anything about <laughs> bad licensed games. Nope, nope, not at all. Well, well, Legend of Korra is an excellent licensed game. How good? Is, well, yeah, th- good because her video, her licensed video game was pretty terrible. Also, so this game sounds amazing. Um, are you guys Avatar fans? Um, not particularly. No, oh, but I mean, I, I've dabbled in it. That's fair. That's fair. By Avatar, we're not talking like crazy blue people. We're talking about... Yeah, no, I know. All right, (laughs) listen, I'm just throwing it out there. Some folks get real confused, Um, like the trademark people. That's why our movie was not called that. Um, (laughs) It was called The Last Airbender, and it was... We don't really talk about it. So I, I have I have no idea what you're talking about. There was never a last Airbender movie, Stephen. Oh man, I wish that was true. But my wife and I <laughs> made a we made like a whole thing about that was like our first big like date night after we had one of our children. <sighs> Ouch. <laughs> I'm sorry. It hurt. It hurt. Talk about killing the mood. Um. Anyway, so. Uh, it was it was a rough day. It was a rough day. So anyway, um, so that's, um, so it's it's called Legend of Korra Pro Bending Arena is the official name. Is yep. it is it like for sale yet? Um, I think they're sold out right now. Oh. Um, yeah, that yeah, might explain why check. he's that. Maybe that's why he's uh, he and I aren't really connecting. Um, let's see. Hold on, I'm on the Amazons. It'll tell me. It exists. Um, both have the it? main board game and um, a deluxe edition. Oh, not the deluxe edition. I guess it's available, but it's 150 bucks. But there's the regular one and the Amon expansion. Yeah, I need the Amon expansion. Okay, like, well, it's $26.86 on Amazon if you care. Um, I'm really going to get it. I mean, I'm just saying. You can. Um <laughs> That's up to you. Um, so that is um, Legend of Korra, um, the pro bending arena. Um, I want to talk about Quirkle Cubes because this is apparently a thing that's been around for a while, and I didn't realize that it existed until like literally two days ago. And Dude, I'm forever, embarrassed. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> I I just – all right. So I have been a huge Quirkle fan since I played it, and I think all four of us have played it at one point or another – um, I'm a huge fan. I actually met the person who created Quirkle um, while I was at New York Toy Fair a couple of years ago, and that was like a huge honor um, because it's such a cool game. Um, I gushed a little bit. Um, I don't know if you guys could ever imagine me gushing. Um, <laughs> and um, like I totally almost lost my cool. It was tough. It was tough. But um, but now, so that's Quirkle, and, and just about everybody listening has heard me talk about Quirkle a bunch. You know, you're basically re- reverse engineering a crossword puzzle using, um, you know, colored colors and shapes and patterns. It's super cool game. Um, and the, ba- the the original game, it uses these cool, like, block, you know, square tiles. Very solid. I love just playing with them. Like, I'll just dump them out on the table while I'm chit-chatting with people and just, like, build stuff because they're neat um, and they're nice and solid. I like, you know, I just like the pieces. Um, Quirkle Cubes is that only instead of little square tiles. They are literally six-sided dice with that are all the same color. They're just the six different shapes. And it's so simple and such an easy change. Like, it, obviously, they made it with dice, but I ne- it never occurred to me that it existed until I saw it sitting on a store shelf, and I lost my mind and bought it. 
and proceeded to play a whole bunch of it. Um, it's really good. Rob, you've played it, I'm guessing. So you have a copy? I, yes, and I, I, I like. I don't think we play regular Quirkle anymore. We pretty much play Quirkle cubes. So the big difference, correct me if I'm wrong, like because maybe, maybe I played it wrong, is with regular Quirkle. If you are, you know, if you don't have a, a legal play or if you don't have a play that's optimal, you can put some tiles back basically and get more. In this case, you really just have the opportunity to re-roll your dice and have different pieces, right? More or less? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much exactly like Quirkle, except you can you can roll them. Um, yeah. And that's, it's like a simple little change, but it adds so much more to the game. And, I mean, especially with, with the kids, because... It's a simple game, but now they also get to roll dice. Yeah, it's it's a it's a win. It's a total win. Yeah, I mean, I just oh, guys, like when I saw it, I I just didn't even know what to do with myself. Um, so um, for those that have heard of this and are now super interested, here's the good news. Um, it's available on Amazon for like twenty five bucks, and it is. Not, I mean, it's not hard to find. Um, so it will likely be at your friendly local game store. Maybe you know it's worth a, it's worth a look. Um, but it's not going to break the bank. You know, you're looking at a, a twenty five dollar game ish. Uh, comes in a cool little box, so it's not going to take up a lot of space. Um, this is cool. What do you guys think, uh, Sam and Gwen? Does this sound? It, does this sound oh, interesting? Um, I, it sounds cool. I like the idea of like the enhanced tactile experience of actually being able to roll things and uh, kind of changing your your options that way. No, um, yeah, I looked at a picture of it earlier when you were mentioning it. It, it looks good on the table as well. Yes, it does. Um, I love uh, Rob. I love how he throws out like the the smart person game designer thing where he says enhanced tactile like. Like he's showing off his brains there. That's a yeah, but but this is also the guy who like eats his fire gems. So <laughs> hey, that's, that, that's never been confirmed on video with video evidence, at least. You're not supposed to eat those, man. They're they're. I can't imagine those come out well. Um. Anyway, so um yeah, so that's Quirkle Cubes, man. This is one. This is going to be one of those. Wow, Steve, you stupid games because I didn't know it existed, and apparently it's been around for a very freaking long time. And I'm just, it's just, I'm embarrassed. But you know what? That's why I have a podcast, because I have no problem just pointing out how dumb I am sometimes. That's why people keep coming back, because they want to hear me make mistakes. So, <laughs> um, it's true. It's like half of my audience is just people that want to hear me say stupid stuff. Um, and it's not that hard. So... Um, so I think that's uh, that's uh, that's enough for around the horn. We have certainly um, taken up a lot of Sam and Gwen's time talking about not their game. So why don't we take a break and then we will come back and we're going to talk a whole bunch about Fire Tower. How's that sound, everybody? Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, we'll be back in a moment, folks. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to. Episode 130, it is still board game time. I'm still Steven, still here with Rob, and I'm also here with Sam and Gwen, the Runaway Parade. Runaway Parade, <laughs> uh, runaway parade Games, but for but now you are forever going to be the Runaway Parade. Because um, it just reminds me of a tag team, and 
I'm that kind of I'm from that corner of the dork forest that I like wrestling, so <laughs> it's shit. You're just gonna have to get used to it. Rob has um, begrudgingly. Um, so the first part of our show, we went around the horn and we talked about a whole bunch of games, but now we want to talk about the game, the game of the hour, and that is Fire Tower. See that little rhyme? It was hot. Um, so um, I've literally been planning that specific set of uh, puns and jokes for like a week. Um, that, that was a good combo, right? Pretty there. good, right? Right. That was that was pretty. I, I was pretty proud of it. So um, you guys had a Kickstarter. It went live a couple of weeks ago, right? Literally. Yeah, yeah. I think we're what we're th- thirteen days in. I think right now. Yeah, something like that. It says sixteen days ago. So um, to to go rather. So. Two weeks, it looks like, um, and you, it is wildly successful. Um, you guys have got to be relieved, right? Because you've been working on this for a very long time. You've been—I played this game what, like two years ago at a at a CT fig. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was a while ago. That's right. Oh my gosh. No, <laughs> yeah, it's a great feeling, yeah, to know that you know we we got the the funding together to be able to make the game and deliver it to everyone who's played it. We've been getting a lot of really heartening messages from people who said something like that. I've been waiting for this game for two years. Like, you know, I'm glad you finally got a you know got around to getting it out. Yeah, way to finish your crap, guys. Um, <laughs> took our time. We so took our time. yeah, you took your time. Hey, listen, um, I think that this is a worthwhile story. Right, because Fire Tower is a cool game. <clears throat> um, right, like it's a cool, it's a cool game. I've certainly enjoyed it every time I've played it. But there is something to be said, you know, for, especially for you know new designers, that there is value in work. Right, like you guys have been doing the convention circuit in the Northeast and beyond. It sounds like for this whole two years, and you made a lot of connections, and you played the game with a lot of people. And I can't imagine that that was not valuable. Right. No. Um, yeah. The, no. The, the feedback. The feedback has definitely been invaluable. Just meeting other designers and just uh, other players, and you know, just getting perspectives on things. When you play a game thousands of times, it's easy to kind of like you know parse out what's working and what's not, and what how you know how people are reacting to certain things or certain changes. It's a uh, yeah, that that experience has been great, and just getting to meet everyone and you know in the industry, including you guys, uh, Rob and Stephen. I don't know. It's just been uh, it's just been great. Just uh, you know, uh, learning about the community and just like realizing you know how strong it is in in the area. I think also for us going to conventions and having people play our game and enjoy it <laughs> was a huge you know it it kept us going. So. Um, I feel like every time we sort of lost faith or, you know, didn't know how we were moving forward, we would go to another convention, have a bunch of people like laugh and enjoy our game. And it would remind us how important it was to keep going with it. So, you know, and I feel the same way on the inverse, right? You know, anytime I, you know, question what I do, um, I go to a convention, I meet some cool indie board game developers like you guys, and I, you know, and I say, okay, so this is why, this is what I do, which is, you know, I help spread the word on stuff like this and help provide, you know, feedback and hopefully get some people to buy your stuff. Um, so, uh, it, so it, I, I totally understand what you're saying, right? Like that value of going to be part of a community and, um, you know, being uplifted by you know, kind of cohabitating in that same space, even for a short amount of time, right? Like I ran into you guys at PAX Unplugged and I was exhausted, 
when you guys ran into me while I was selling Fireball Island before it existed, right? Because I was working at the <laughs> Restoration Games booth because um, they put me up in a hotel. I really couldn't not I couldn't turn that down. Um, and um, yeah, go figure. My in exchange, I had to sell the easiest thing to sell at a convention ever. Just signing up for a mailing <laughs> list to to hear about Fireball Island. It was great, but I was exhausted. I was losing my voice, and then you guys came over to show me the prototype of Fire Tower, and it was you know like it was you know it was like that was that boost of energy for me. Just knowing like, hey, I've got this awesome product. I've got your baby in my hand. Um, to bring home and play and, you know, work with Rob on some coverage. You know, that that kind of energy is something that I think a lot of people that don't necessarily go to conventions or even smaller ones like CT Fig and B Fig. You know, they 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 people that don't go because they, they think it's not their scene or something like that, they're really missing out on some energy. Um and it's so fun. You know, just meeting everybody. So uh, I agree. So enough gushing about the board game community at large. Let's get down to brass tacks. Let's talk about mm-hmm. Fire Tower. Tell me what this game is about. Um. Well, Fire Tower is a two to four player uh, competitive forest fire game. And if you've ever played a fire game before, most of them have uh, some kind of cooperative aspect where you're working together to beat back the flames and contain the chaos. But in Fire Tower, your only objectives are one, to defend your own tower, and two, to spread the fire from the eternal flame in the center out towards your opponents, breach their tower, burn it down, take their cards, and continue your quest to be the last tower standing in the forest. And it's a, it's a game that, uh, one of the main mechanics in the game is the wind. It's this unrelenting natural force that's always pushing the fire forward. And uh, at the beginning of every player's turn, they have to expand the fire with uh, one of the fire gems we have in the game. And uh, they have to add it on to the mass of the fire. So it's continually growing, becoming more unmanageable. And then players also have a hand of five action cards that allow them to influence uh, events on the board, including altering the direction of the wind and sending it towards their opponents, or adding varying patterns of water and fire to add and remove things, and uh, creating fire breaks for defenses as well. Gee, you haven't rehearsed that at all over the last couple of years. No, I, no wow, I've was, never, I've never said that those words before. That was a hundred percent extemporaneous, no preparation. Wow, that was that was about as that was be, man. I wish I had, I wish I had had that just written down for every time I had to explain it over the last couple of years on this show. Um, yeah, so I, here's what I love about this, Rob. Tell me, you chime in with some of your opinions too because i know you reviewed this as well we've played it together a half dozen times so um the this the i think the big thing that really you know kind of grabbed me about this game is kind of that chaotic element like this really because of the fact that every turn the fire gets bigger and the fire does not necessarily go in the direction that you want it to um sometimes you can you know manipulated a little bit but in general it's just kind of going where it wants um it really does feel chaotic um but it's not fast chaotic right and like and i think that that's the part that i really liked about it because a lot of games that like rely on chaos or you know be it video games or other things it's hard to keep up right like you're 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 very quickly overwhelmed and that's just kind of how things work but what's cool about fire tower in the, is that chaos is very methodical it's like you know because it's one you know one sometimes a little bit more people are using action cards but generally generally it is a slow build and like if you don't pay attention 
all of a sudden you're kind of overwhelmed and everything's just kind of the fires on top of you if you're not paying attention. And I really like that feeling of kind of watching the waves of fire move around and, you know, how things build. Um, and it really makes it so that no two games are the same um, because the wind is unrelenting and, you know, more or less random. I really dig it. I really dig your game, guys. Uh, but you've known that for two years. You know. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stop and point out here that you already missed a fire pun. You said the you said it was a slow build. When you I should have said it was a slow burn. My bad. It was a slow burn. Um. Right. Hey, Steven. Hey, Steven. You're fired. I am fired. Oh. Um. Uh, we don't make your fired jokes on this podcast. Um. I'm just. I'm just saying, uh, certain things are um, certain things are just straight up off limits. Um, but but I I am certainly um, yeah like I, I I understand I failed. I failed. So hey, Rob just took the crown. Yeah, he just took he took he took the pun crown for the evening, and that's fine. Uh, the belt it'll be a championship belt. I think we're gonna have to get one of those. Um, so the actually I think we actually really do need to get one of those, Rob, because I think that'll be really funny. Um, it'll that'll play well on Insta. So see, I'm I'm I've, I said Insta like one of the cool kids. Um, <laughs> that was probably the saddest thing that's happened to me in a couple of weeks. So, um, so your game, you've been working on this for, you You guys said like three years, right? Is that what I'm remembering correctly? Somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. And it's been about three years, yeah. So I've asked you guys this before, but I want to hear the story again. And I think some of these folks will probably want to hear it. You guys could have made anything. Why did you make this? <laughs> and I mean that in the most, and you guys know, I've asked you this before, and so I know largely the answer, but I want it for the benefit of my audience, um, and I mean it in the most loving way possible. Why did you make Fire Tower? Because you guys are super smart, very talented developers, or, or designers, rather. Why this? Um, so we've, we've both, you know, been designing games since we were kids, and... It was really fun. You know, once we sort of realized that we were both into board games and we could talk about design, we were talking about it all the time. But one of the things that we really like are, you know, this new wave of, I guess not new anymore, but the wave of cooperative games that have come out, this aspect of playing against the game, right? Everybody's working together to play against some mechanism in the game that uh, is overwhelming and they have to fight it back, right? Like pandemic or any example of so many cooperative games, great co-ops that have come out recently. Um, and then there's the competitive games where you're playing against each other and there's more, you know, that type of interaction. And we liked both of them. We were trying to come up with something that would be both at the same time. So how do you have something that's cooperative in that you're playing against the game together and then purely competitive, you know, there's only one winner and you're always thinking about how you and you alone can win the game. So the idea of the fire and the way that it moves, the way that it's the slow burn, as you said before, uh, being able to uh, have that growing. So you're playing against the game in that way, but also trying to manipulate it so that you're still beating the other players really intrigued us both. All right. I like it. So, I mean, we everybody knows I liked it. So it's it, it's tough for me to it's tough for me to express a positive emotion that anybody listening to this podcast has not already heard from me. So I've been talking about this game for a while. So the good news is 
I'm not alone because if I was the only person that liked it, probably wouldn't, you know, no, no disrespect. I wasn't going to be able to fund your game all by myself. So, um, <laughs> well, well, I mean, we are BFFs, but we're not that kind of BFFs. Uh, I think my wife would have had something to say about that. Um, that would have also made me an investor and not a backer, um, which is a vastly different experience. Um, so, uh, but almost a thousand people so far have backed this game. And you're basically halfway through your campaign. And so you're probably, you're in the lull now, I'm sure. But we know it's going to pick up towards the end because that's always how this stuff works. Um, how cool is it to know that there's like a thousand people that are like, yeah, you know what? I want this. Yeah. Um, it, it's pretty amazing. Gwen keeps uh, rationalizing it to me. She's like, imagine all of those people like standing or being in a room together playing Fire Tower. And it's a... It's a really humbling feeling at the same time that it, it, it's really thrilling. I don't know. We're just so grateful to the community of people that have come together to help us make this game. Um, just, uh, you know, from everyone we've met at conventions and, you know, game nights here and there and people we've never met before who have just signed on to the game after checking it out. Um, yeah, we're really grateful to all of that because, you know, we couldn't have made this game without the excitement that people have brought to the campaign. Thanks. It's overwhelming to imagine the the game being played. I think one of the things that's most thrilling to me is the international backers who have supported us to imagine, you know, this game being spread across the country and then across the world um, on all the different tables. That's like just a dream come true for me. Right? Yeah, I mean... I can totally imagine how cool that would be. Um, you know, the first time I noticed that my podcast was being downloaded by someone regularly in the UK, I was like, oh my goodness, this is, you know, it's crazy that, like, your thoughts are, are your thoughts, your experience, your hard work being appreciated by someone in another country, let, you know, another state, let alone another country, right? Like, it's just totally crazy. Um, another thing that must have been overwhelming for you guys is that this thing funded fast, Right, the sticker is right there on the front. Which, by the way, well, well played, getting that sticker there as quickly as you did. I was there in the Discord while that was getting done. Um, so you guys funded in under two hours. So you, it went live, and then all of a sudden, two hours later, you're like, "Wow, this dream is a reality." Um, tell me, like, tell me that. Give me an idea, and give my listeners an idea what that first couple hours was like. Like, you must have been just constantly hitting refresh. Just t tell me how this was all going down. I just want to know. It was kind of uh, the way I could describe it best. It was like, yeah, almost like euphoric paralysis. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, wow. We, we, could, we, we, could barely, we could barely move. We had all these plans for where we were going to post it, and we were going to get it up here, and, you know, we're going to put this on Facebook and and all our plans just kind of fell apart when we saw the support coming in and the backer numbers going up and we're kind of looking at each other like, wow, this is this is amazing, kind of freezing up, almost losing our motor function. It was definitely one of the craziest uh, feelings of my life, for sure, just seeing that. And then finding out then it was funded and it was like now the game is within two hours. We knew that we were going to be able to produce the game. And that was really gratifying. And so, man, euphoric paralysis. Um, that's, the, that's the name of my, uh, like, funk cover band. Uh, <laughs> euphoric paralysis. Um, man, I am, uh, I'm a... I'm a big fan of that phrase. Um, someone should actually make a board game named Euphoric Paralysis. You guys should totally write that down and just use that as a theme. I think that would be freaking awesome. Um, 
So, so yeah, I, you know what? I can totally imagine that, right? Like you have all the, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. But this was like a happy punch in the face. Um, because like all of a sudden you went from nervous. I'm sure you had data, right? Like I'm sure you guys had, you're smart people, you know, logical minded, right? The analytical, um, at least that's what I can tell from our brief meetings over the years. And so, um, so I'm sure that you had a pretty good idea that this was going to be okay. Right. But this has to have been blowing away some of your expectations. I think what's funny is that you have, you have the data, but, and you're able to look at other projects and make projections and see how they're doing things and say, Oh, well, they did this and that really worked for them or whatever. But when it comes to yourself, it just feels like, well, I think, you know, my aunt's going to buy a copy. Like, you just have no <laughs> clue, sort of. Of course, we've done the work, and if we had thought about it, we could have sort of foreseen some of this. Of course, not anything near what ended up happening. Um, but I, it's it's weird. You don't you don't look at these things with, with a clear eye when it's your own project, I think, in the same way. Yeah, I, I I'm with you 100% on that. You know, when I when EFG launched, however many years ago, you know, I had an idea for what it was going to look like and how the launch was going to happen. Admittedly, not nearly as fast of a, a burn as Fire Tower because this thing, you guys, it just went crazy. Um, you know, as I watched it go, um, whereas EFG has been a bit of a slow burn, but knowing, like seeing the people get involved and everything, you know, the comments and the, the views and everything, I'm, I, I completely understand where you're coming from on this whole, like, you know, you have an idea and you have a plan and you have, you know, what's, you see other, you see your competition quote unquote. Um, and then everything just happens. So it's just super cool. Um, I can't, even express how proud I am to see your uh, little baby growing up. Now, um, we've talked about the game. Let's talk about this game board. So here's what I want, folks. This is your homework. Um, don't do this while you're driving. Um, I say that a lot because I'm nervous about it. Um, so um, you got to go look at this Kickstarter. Um, so just look up Fire Tower on Kickstarter and look at this board. This board is gorgeous. It was the first thing that grabbed my attention when I when I saw you guys at CT Fig. It is the so perspective much. is crazy. Every time I look at it, I catch like this other little detail that I just didn't notice. Um, like the fact that when you're looking at the board from, you know, it's like you're really, really high up. And it never occurred to me that that's what's actually happening, that you're like actually really high up watching this crazy fire happen. Um, I didn't, it just never occurred to me, like the sense of elevation. Tell me how you, des how you got this board made. So um, I'm actually a graphic designer by day and I work, uh, I was taught graphic design by my father, who's oh. an uh, illustrator and fine artist. So we've worked on a lot of projects together, and this was the first one that we got to work on that was actually one of our projects. So uh, he did all the artwork uh, for Fire Tower. The watercolor style is totally him, and he's brilliant. I love everything he does. Uh, he's you're actually, not just saying that because it's your dad. I'm not. I, I mean, I've been admiring him since I was a kid, but he might, you know, maybe he taught me what what he taught me my own aesthetic. Right. But, um, yeah, he, I think his work is unbelievable. He actually has, um, a line of, he, he, I grew up in Vermont and he has a line of 
Vermont travel posters that he makes. So a lot of Vermonters are familiar with his work um, and have seen it around usually, you know, with maple syrup or uh, red barns or something like that in the background. So this is a different type of project, but it was really, really fun to work on with him. And I think it came out beautifully. I'm really proud of this. Listen, so not only you. you guys. Oh, sorry, Stephen. No, I was just saying I agree. You go ahead. I would say, so not only do you have this this beautifully illustrated board, but I mean, when I saw you guys at CT Fig, it was the the gigantic mound of of shiny plastic gems <laughs> that that caught my eye. And now, what's cool is, and I think I even said this in my preview, like this isn't a deluxe edition component. Like anybody who backs Fire Tower gets like a ton of these these giant plastic gems. So you've got this this beautiful board. Um and it, I mean the the board itself is a very dark look to it too. And then you've got these these kind of shiny uh translucent orange gems and they really just pop. Uh, it's got a great tactile feel to it when you're playing the game and it just really looks good on the board. Um and I mean, did you guys always plan on that, or did you were you was the original plan like wooden or cardboard tokens? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, it kind of, it evolved. I mean, the you know the first version we ever had of the game, um, and we've told people this before, but you know, a giant piece of poster board with little uh, plastic pirate tokens were <laughs> were the pieces, and then that evolved into you know years ago into a game crafter prototype, and we initially had little uh, purple and red winks for the fire tokens and the fire break tokens. And, you know, we brought that to a convention and people enjoyed it, but they said, you know, we wish there was something that was more evocative of fire. Like we wanted to feel like this is the fire on the board. And that really set off the search to find that piece. And when we finally located it, we, we kind of, we were feeling good about it. And we, we brought it uh, to the next convention. And the first person walked up and went, oh, you got a big pile of fire there. <laughs> And nice. uh, yeah, and then we were—I don't know—that kind of was just like I, that was uh, a nice uh, um, affirmation that we had made like the correct choice on what to use to represent it. So yeah, um, it wasn't—you know—that wasn't our initial plan, and that definitely was another one of those things that evolved over the course of uh, you know conventions. The look of the game. Well, I also love that in your Kickstarter campaign, those those gems are like the the meat of the advertising. You know, you've got, you had all these, you know, like you're eating them out of the bowl and you have all these stop motion animations, which I have to say I absolutely loved just even seeing those on the Kickstarter page. It must have taken forever to make those. Thank you. Yeah. For how many frames was our how to play video going? Wasn't it something like it was like 4,000 or something? (laughs) We really like playing with the gems. So yeah, that (laughs) made the choices easy. I also have to say, man, like the, um, when we had the, cause we had, you know, we were lucky enough to be, uh, handed a prototype and I brought it home and I showed my kids who had actually not had an opportunity to play it. Um, you know, up to that point, just by nature, the fact that they hadn't been, maybe my oldest had seen it maybe, but, um, you know, like most, you know, my younger two definitely had not seen it. And so we took it out of the box and while trying to teach them how to play the game, they just couldn't stop messing with the fire. You know what I mean? And I was like, that's fire. You're playing with fire. Don't play with fire. And, um, you know, like my youngest, who's, who was like five at the time, um, 
actually no, she was four, was like, but daddy, it's not hot. And I'm like, but I, I didn't actually, just, just, just don't touch. Just don't touch. Um, because it's distracting. Um, cause they're just so, cause it really does, you know, I don't think people will, I mean, because of the quality of the Kickstarter video, um, and you know, the gifts that you made, um, well, people will kind of get it, but like, you don't really know how much like quote unquote a fire it looks like until you see it moving around on the board. I think, I think it's one of those things that like, I didn't, I did, I didn't quite get it until I was halfway through a game and went, Oh, uh, Oh, this is, this looks like, this looks like fire, you know? Um, and I think that that's, that's a neat feeling. It's something that you don't really see with a lot of components, right? Like a lot of times components, they are what they are. Um, and these like really, like for me, it was just, you know, they looked really cool and I really liked the pieces, but then when you see them all spread out on the board, you're like, Oh, this is, this is legit. Yeah. Well, we really wanted to, to have the theme melded in a, in a meaningful way and not just be something that was tacked onto the game. So yeah, that's always been part of it is that, you know, the, the way the mechanics function is also, you know, uh, a way that a fire would naturally grow as well. So uh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, no, we really, we love the gems as well. I mean, uh, during certain conventions when there has been a lull late in the night, we definitely, the gems are, are our solace. We're always playing with the pile. <laughs> I'm also a big fan of games where you can look at the board and you know exactly what's going on. Um, yeah. And you can sort of read the situation right away. So the fire gems really just, yeah, they they make it very clear very quickly how much trouble you're in when the fire is near your tower. And you can breathe a sigh of relief when it's a little bit further away. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. It definitely, like, as they start pushing towards your tower... Like it really does feel that like sense of pressure. Um, and I don't know if it's because of the gems, but certainly the game does it. The gems certainly don't hurt. Um, so one thing that we got to talk about, um, because we played the prototype and have been playing this for a long time, is um, people who will be getting the final version will be playing the game a little bit differently than we did originally because we had a spinner. Uh, like, you know, a, a shoots and ladders spinner. Um, whereas now it was switched over to a die. What, what finally, I remember you guys kind of debating that a little bit in the beginning. What finally pushed you guys over the edge? Um, some people we knew who like, uh, we later, you know, designers we became friends with later would be like, you know, I like, I really liked your game when we played, but you know, to be honest, when I first walked up, I made uh, I had like an implicit bias that I wasn't going to like it because it had a spinner. And they're like, and I don't know why. And I know it's kind of unfair to judge a game based on one component. Um, so and, and then when we started telling people at conventions that we were going to switch to a D8, it was generally pretty positive. A few people would be like, I like spinners. They should be utilized more. But I would say the majority of the people uh, like the idea of it turning into a D8 as opposed to a spinner. In a lot of ways, people were adverse to a spinner because they were worried that, um, I don't know, people have problems with them. If they're not of the highest quality, they start to malfunction, they stop spinning right. Also, there was the problem that some people thought, you know, what if my friends get good enough with this spinner that they can just get it to land on the wind direction they want? So, oh, although yeah. I don't know, yeah, although if I don't know if that's possible, I think I spun that spinner about 25,000 times and still had no <laughs> ability to control the way it was going. Well, maybe you but, just uh, suck. I mean, you think of that? Um, I'm just kidding. 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 Although that was, 
You did not hear. No one expected that coming from me. Nobody did. Um, um, so no, you're right. I, I, I think I actually think spinners are sufficiently random. However, um, I can also understand, you know, why some folks might be just conditioned to not like them because, oh well, you know, shoots and ladders isn't really a game. I mean, it's it's not, but you know, like because that. That means nothing that is in it can ever be part of a real game or something. I liked it because it felt random enough because it is like the wind. Yeah. It's just it's just gonna lay where it lays. With that said, I mean an eight sided dies, what are you gonna do? Like I think it's I think it will do just as well. And you know what? If people want their own spinner, they can make one. It's not that hard. <laughs> I think, well, one of the things that's kind of cool is we actually reached a stretch goal to have the weather vane card. So even though it's not a spinner and you're still using the die, that additional component of having something next to the board that is the weather vane is back in the game. So uh, anybody who really loved the spinner will have that for, for some solace. <laughs> I like it. So this has been around for a while. You guys have played this. Tell me about like uh, have did you ever run into a situation where you like had to make a change like after just one really weird game where you were like wow this just went out of control we got to change this thing like did you have a moment where you were playing this game and you had to make like a, a hot fix like right in the middle of it maybe late in design or is this something that just slowly evolved um i i would say that the evolution was slow it was it was less like than you know just one game where something triggered it and you know it was like this one anomaly makes us have to alter things but like trends you would see over time like initially if both the players on one side let's say on the western side of the board they were eliminated we still allowed the wind to expand in that direction um and the problem was when you had those two players left they would be content to let the wind stay in that western direction and just kind of bolster their defenses and they, they weren't taking the heat from the expansion it was kind of you know still adding to the board but in a place that wasn't really affecting them and we thought that kind of uh, eroded the momentum of the game in that sense that the fire is always coming for you so eventually you know, now we have if the towers are no longer active on the side of the board the wind can no longer spread that way so it's like at, now there's only two players left, but now you're more confined and it's more likely. I mean, no matter which way the wind is going, it's going to be negatively affecting someone's chances of, uh, you know, uh, surviving and staying in the forest. So definitely changes like that came up over time. And I, I think it was if we saw something, you know, if you saw something multiple times, you started to realize that it needed a fix. Um, I remember in one of our early games, we had a card that could double the wind in that you would play the line every single time. And it was just like you would be burned to the ground instantly. <laughs> and we kept trying to incorporate it in. We actually might, we're still trying to incorporate it in because we like the idea of the stronger wind. And we might have cracked that one uh, recently. But we had so many different ways of doing that where every single time we play, it was like, oh, I just burned the ground so fast let's try that again <laughs> <laughs> no i guess it is true there was certain things that changed pretty quick like uh the first prototype we ever built when we first had the fire breaks you could place them uh adjacent to one another 
So you could end up just building this wall and it would end up becoming this like endless fortress that stretched on forever. And me and Gwen like battling to make it through little choke points and then <laughs> extinguishing it and then making it stronger. And it would spiral on into like a three hour game. And we're like, this is not, not meant to be three hours. This is supposed to be a, a quick game about a fire spreading. <laughs> so like pretty quickly we decided that, you know, new fire breaks placed to the port can no, not be placed edge adjacent. So I guess there was certain things where that was a specific example where one game definitely changed a rule right away it was clear that that was an issue awesome awesome well i do want to say I'm, I'm i'm really glad that i finally got an opportunity to have the two of you guys on my show we've been kind of talking about this for a while uh because you know we certainly um have had some fun times playing at conventions um and i wanted to have an opportunity to talk to you guys uh, over some microphones to talk about Fire Tower. So um, the campaign still, by the time this is posting, um, there, there will be about, uh, I think, 12, 11-ish days left. So there will be time, but not so much time that you can just forget about it, folks. So if this sounds like something you want, I recommend that you head on over there, hit that back button, um, and make sure that they get a, noti a happy notification email that they have one more backer. Um, because uh, this is a game that I, I, I at this point, it's a pre-order. So um, why don't you just go pre-order your board game, folks, um, and give them plenty of logistics headaches to deal with over the next handful of months, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure they're super excited for. Why not just make those pallets that much heavier? Let's just get it done. Um, so um, thank you both. Uh, Sam and Gwen, it's been great having you guys on the show today. Thank, hey, thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, we really appreciate it. It's been good talking to you guys. Yeah, no, it's really good to talk to you both. No problem. So, everybody out there, we'd like to thank you for listening to Engage a Family Gaming Podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording it. But before we go, I do have one favor to ask. Um, this is a, a simple favor, if you will. Um, I bet... Everyone listening knows one person that might like to hear this podcast that doesn't download it regularly. So here's what I'd like you to do. If you could, share this with them in whatever way is feasible. Perhaps send them an email, text them. I don't really care how you do it. But um, if everybody that listens to this podcast every week just finds one more person that they think would be down with listening to a podcast about games that families can play together, uh, if we keep doing that... Uh, the sky's the limit for our audience, and a bigger audience means bigger things. You know how that stuff works. Um, so please do so if you could, um, and you know maybe join the Engage Family Gaming community um, at engagefamilygaming.com/community uh, as Sam did earlier on today. Um, and I know because I approved it. Um, and so because uh, we'd love to have more people in there too, talking about games and just having all sorts of fun. So. Um, that is my ask for this week. Uh, so I stand with hat in hand, hoping that you would be willing to do so. Um, thank you very much in advance. So, uh, this has been episode 130, lady, lady and gentlemen. Um, so thank you all three of you for joining me on this wild ride. Um, and, uh, for those of you listening, have a great week. We'll see you next week for some video game time. Um, and in the meantime, don't forget to get your family game on. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Engage, a family gaming podcast. Thank you.
listening. Tune in next week.